We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Spinning is Sabonis. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. For the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Well, you got it set in your face, and I think that's terrific. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Hope you guys are doing better than the Pacers. Don't imagine you could be doing any worse than they're doing, but joining me today, as he always does, is the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, are you going to become a Wizards fan now? Never in my life. Never will. Never. Not going to happen. I ain't going nowhere. Twitter is a dark place right now, but I'm still logging on. It's funny because if you want a little bit of Pacers light at the end of the tunnel, head on over to Instagram. Uh, I was uh, laughing at how many positive comments that were on Instagram talking about the team. I said, wow, we got some true fans over here that are super excited about the future despite this awful losing streak and play of the last couple, you know, month and a half or so. But uh, exciting news, though, whether you, uh, you know you were upset or not, DeMontis Abonis was snubbed, but because of Kevin Durant's injury, Adam Silver made the perfect decision in going out and selecting DeMontis Abonis to be the injury replacement for Kevin Durant. I know I came on here last week, fired up, and said I don't want him to go, but he's getting an extra $1.3 million. So, Domas, go represent Indiana, and I don't care if anybody wants to say you're the worst all-star in this thing. You're number one in our hearts. That he is, and I just feel like, look, yes, I did want criminal charges brought up on the NBA coaches. Yes, I stand by that. But at the same point, a while later now, you know, Durant backed out, says he's got a hamstring injury. Look, let's be honest. This All-Star game, there's some star players that don't necessarily want to be there. Sabonis was every bit of deserving of being there. I'm glad that he's going to be there, represent the Pacers, 
also be able to pick up his bonus. And Alex, and we have to just diffuse the rumor that Jimmy Butler was asked and he turned it down because Bam couldn't come with him. What is this? Like a, a cheesy episode of a, of a TV show where you're sticking up for your friend. There is no way this happened. Yeah, it's called hashtag heat culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we can just put that to bed. Um, Jimmy Butler, I don't even I think there was actually a report that came out and said the players cannot basically turn down an all-star invitation. I think that it's like they can't miss it unless they're injured or something. So mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, whatever. Whatever makes the Heat fans feel better because the bonus got in over two of their players. Look, the Heat have a better record than the Pacers right now. The Pacers have absolutely just been playing like garbage, but at the point when the voting went down, the Pacers were at 500 or a game above 500, excuse mm-hmm. me, and they were in the four seed. So, yeah, that I think when we made valid points about that, they were valid. You know, if the if the you know standings had been where they were now and the Pacers were 10th or 11th and he didn't make it, um, then I think we would have been a little bit less animated about it. Yeah. So I think that's fair to say. But anyway, he's in. We're excited. We're going to watch All-Star Game now. Maybe watch the bonus play five minutes and barely touch the ball. He'll probably set a screen for LeBron. and uh, Probably like, two points, one yeah, basket. You he'll, know. Get a, he'll get a put-back rebound or something like that. But anyway, I'm hoping he goes off for 30. That'd be just hilarious oh, to yeah. me. I, I just want to say one thing on this point before we shift on that. I love the fact that Pacer Nation – bonded together and stuck it to Nate Duncan. I mean, everybody came at him and was really like, they were digging up the tweet from last year with Nate saying, yeah, let's see how many all-stars he makes in the future, or this will be the last time he ever makes an all-star game. (laughs) And well, you know what? Sabonis is back and so are we. I love seeing the unity right there. Now, unfortunately, everyone's just coming together you know, talking about how bad the team's doing. So let's bond together in a more positive light again. Absolutely. And if you're going to be putting your money on anything, I think it's time to cash in on Cassius Stanley as he's going to represent the Indiana Pacers in the slam dunk contest. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I always get excited when I see somebody from the blue and gold representing us in the slam dunk contest. I know it's a weird all-star weekend. I know it's in the middle of the halftime show. It's going to be different, but I'm all amped up because Cassius Stanley, that dude can jump out of the gym. That he can. I'm very excited to see, you know, Stanley in the dunk contest. Uh, I feel like the Pacers over the the past have had great representation in the dunk contest between GR3 and Paul George and Fred Jones winning it all. I mean, there's there's been some – Victor Oladipo is in it. I mean, there's been a a lot of Pacers that have competed. But Stanley, he's got a chance to win it. I mean, this – Dunk contest does not seem to be, you know, anywhere near the top of it. Uh, a guy like uh, Cassius Stanley with a freak vertical leap, uh, I'm excited. Anything could happen, and I think it's the perfect way to introduce yourself to the NBA. I think it'd be fun to see a little OB Toppin versus Cassius Stanley in the championship round. Pacers Knicks, let's see it, baby. We missed that rivalry, and I think it'd be good for the NBA to get that rivalry brought back to life. Um, oh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen later in the season if the Pacers make the playoffs? But speaking about that rivalry, uh, Alex, unfortunately, I lost a bet to two of my longest friends I've ever had. They are Knicks fans. I told them I'd give them a shout out on the podcast because we lost. So, Brian Roder, Alec Bernstein, yeah, you guys got us this time. I hope to see you again out there because enjoy <laughs> this win while you got it they don't come quite often Knicks nation they are running wild dancing in the streets right now being 500 
what when did you realize you were gonna lose? Was it when Miles Turner made an awful entry pass into Sabonis? <sighs> Or was it when when you realized T.J. McConnell had played 46 minutes and then when Sabonis threw him the ball a little bit uh, further than it wanted to go maybe and he didn't even go after it? Like, it literally, you were seeing the batteries die. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was like a remote-controlled car that just just instantly stops going because the battery's dead. And and just somehow the Pacers just kept dragging us along. They kept somehow just just making a comeback. I think R.J. Barrett was the one that missed two free throws at the end of the game and kept it alive, and oh, then that turnover at the very end sealed it. I really yeah. thought the Pacers were going to send the game to overtime. Uh, just just a rough loss. A game where if only Brogdon had maybe rested the Sixers game, you know, I think we could have won the Knicks game. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe so, but I, I thought the team looked pretty good. And I, I will say this real quick before we get into our recap. I want to say – in those three games that we lost before the Sixers game uh, last night, Sabonis, 12 field goal attempts, 12 field goal attempts, and 10 field goal attempts. Pacer Nation has been clamoring Oof. for him to quit shooting the ball that. so much, and he's doing a better job about it. But at the same time, it's not resulting in wins. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to jump over to um, – I want to play a quick clip for you. I'm sure most of you guys have probably listened to it, but Zach Lowe on his latest podcast with Chris Hearing – Uh, Did a really cool segment talking about the Pacers, and I want you guys just to hear this real quick, and uh, we'll come right back and discuss that. So here's a clip. Let's talk about the team that no one ever talks about in the East. Let's end with them, and that's Indiana. You wrote a recent piece on Miles Turner and the defense he's playing. He's also down to 30% from three, and I'm a little bit worried on behalf of Pacers fans that they're going to fade even further from the discourse because they're now 15-17 and on a three-game losing streak, and... You know, they're an interesting team with a lot of interesting players. They're sort of the most – I think they're the most average team in the NBA. They're they're just average in every possible way. They're just average. But people are already beginning – it's like out of sight, out of mind. Karis LeVert and TJ Warren are good NBA starters exactly. who would be starting for the Pacers instead of Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday, who are good NBA bench players currently starting NBA games. If you just add those two guys and your starting lineup is Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, and the two big guys, Sabonis and Turner, that's a hell of a team. Like, they're going to have some interesting decisions going forward. They have one, two, three, four, five, six guys making more than $10 million next year, and that does not include McDermott, who's a free agent, and has been really, really good for the Pacers, both shooting threes and and going to the rim on cuts. Um, They're going to have some interesting decisions to make going forward, but they're just a good solid team. And I don't, I don't know where they're going. And this is the perpetual question with Indiana is like, how do you go from really nice frisky team to team that actually does stuff in the playoffs exactly. and a threat to do stuff? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know that they have an answer to that question. I thought they did great inserting themselves in the Harden trade to get Levert for Oladipo, who's probably going to leave anyway. All right, Fachi. So I really like that point because Without Levert, without Warren, I mean, this team is what it is. You can't expect two bench players to give you starter-level production and then expect your bench to be really good when you have two bench players starting. I think that once fully healthy, I'm kind of intrigued to see what this team can do. I'm very intrigued, but I can't even dispute the comments because when you're talking about average, Alex, i got some numbers to back it up. The Pacers, they're scoring 113 points per game. That's 15th in the NBA. That is average right there. They're giving up 112.6 points per game. That's 19th in the NBA. That's below average. Threes attempted per game. They rank 20th. Threes made per game, 20th. 
Three point percentage, 17th. And then, and then you start to look at free throws attempted, 18th. Free throws made, 17th. These are painfully average numbers right here. And don't even get me started on the rebounding, which is 29th. I mean, this team is across the board, unfortunately, they are average without Levert and without Warren. That, that's what we're looking at. And that's, I can't argue it because how could you be above average without those two guys? That would really put us into elite contention. And unfortunately, that's just not what the Pacers are this year. Yeah, and he kind of talked about it. I think the whole last like 15, 20 minutes of that podcast, I hit on it. So if you want to hear the full conversation, I think you should go listen to it. I think he brought up some really great points and I don't want to take away that thunder. So from what we played, I, I want to just leave it at that. But what I will say is like, if you're looking at this Pacers team and you're trying to describe it to somebody, I would say it's like this, you know, you're you're in a relationship with somebody and things are going well, but you don't really think it's progressing, but it hasn't regressed. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, I kind of like this person, but I'm not really like falling in love with them. You know, that kind of thing. This is where the paces are at. Uh, you're kind of just stuck in the middle. You're like, I'm a fan of this team, but I don't really love where the team's headed. But hopefully, you know, maybe something will change. Something will flip for me. Um, and, and maybe, you know, you, you find out if there's something great about this person that you're just in a relationship with maybe later down the road in life. I don't know, but it just feels like this team is very, very average and it's just like when you're in a relationship with an average person, uh, you know, it's not going to go anywhere unless you make some changes. And so you're either going to have to break up with them or you're going to have to kind of figure out something that you didn't know about them. And that's just where I'm at with this team. It's average. It's not fun. It's kind of been boring recently to watch them play. I think they've kind of been more background noise for me than they have been like the full 48 minutes because I, I just I'll be honest with you. I cannot sit there for 48 minutes and watch this team play because I would lose my mind. Oh, yeah. But you know what, Alex, in regards to your comparison, I'm going to look them in the eyes and I'm going to continue to get to know them. And I'm <laughs> going to see if maybe something changes because I'm not breaking up with them. Not anytime soon. No, they, they haven't done anything that's worthy of being broken up with. No. Right. It's just like, OK, you know, we, we've had some blah dates. <laughs> but anyway, my analogy is just dying. I'm just digging a, I'm just digging a hole deeper and deeper. So I'm going to cut myself off before I dig it in even further. But I will say this, Fachi, I want to recap last night's game, okay? Nobody expected the Pacers to win. Nobody. If you expected the Pacers to beat the number one team in the Eastern Conference after losing three in a row and the way they've been playing, I don't think your expectations are uh, very realistic. So we're going to talk about a few different things from last night's game that we wanted to hit on. And I'm going to start things off because I'm very passionate about this. Edmund Sumner. Look, I understand Edmund Sumner is not the answer for this team's success. He's just another role player. That is exactly what he is. But I personally feel like Edmund Sumner needs to start over Doug McDermott. And this team needs to get back to playing defensive basketball. Look, going out all the way to the half court line to guard Ben Simmons is ridiculous. This is not how Dan Burke used to run things. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have moved on. They're trying different things. I appreciate the innovation that they're going for. But Fachi, I am telling you right now, defense has been one of the biggest problems for this team. And it's always been something they've been able to hang their hat on for decades. So for me, I think it started Edmund Sumner. He brings energy. He brings a little bit more defensive uh, liability. I think he's someone you can rely on and, and, and really – I'm just, I do not rely on McDermott or, or Jeremy Lamb to be that defensive type of player. And I think for this system, for this scheme, 
Sumner makes the most sense. And right now the Pacers are out of answers. <laughs> they gotta they gotta go for it. Out of answers, got too many questions. I, I think that right now Edmund Sumner could be a guy that why not? It's just why not? I feel like he's worked on his game. He's hungry. He's got the length. I mean, it's I think he better fits, you know, the starting lineup because McDermott's someone that you love him off the bench. You love him playing with Sabonis. Everybody knows that. But it's just the bench is way too thin with McDermott and Justin Holiday in the starting lineup. And then you don't have Warren and Levert. I feel like they, it needs to be a bit more balanced out. I mean, we talk, last time we were on this podcast about a week ago, talked about how outside of TJ McConnell's production, th- there was nothing there on the bench in 40-plus minutes of production. So – you know, Edmund Sumner, he gets the extended minutes. We're not seeing him really play extended minutes quite often on the season, and he made the most of it. And I think lately, Alex, I feel like he has continuously made the most of it. Uh, yesterday, two turnovers, sure, it's not great. Those are his first turnovers in the whole month of February and the beginning of March combined. This guy's playing better. He's He's been unreal. I mean, it's like uh... – you look at him and you say, why isn't he getting more opportunity? When he gets the opportunity, he plays well, and he's been consistent. He's not going to drop 18 points every night. That's, no. not, that's not who he is, but you're not asking him to be that. What you're asking him to be is just a guy that cuts, a guy that plays hard, a guy that brings energy, and a guy that can play defense, mm-hmm. a guy that can run guys at the three-point line. If you're going to be playing up that tight on, on guys and you're wanting to get, you know go through screens, go over screens, not under screens, He's very good at that. He did an excellent job against Steph Curry. Steph Curry praised his defense. He did a pretty good job against Dame Lillard as well. And, of course, when we played the Clippers, he got torched, but it wasn't like that was really his fault because he wasn't really guarding a point guard, someone of size. He was guarding a bigger player in Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, when they played. So, personally, for me, it's like, look, I, I just think McDermott, Jeremy Lamb, they are what they are. Put them with the bench. Let them do their thing with the bench. Get that bench solidified. That way, when Cassius, uh, Cassius, excuse me, Karis, uh, Karis is back and TJ Warren's back, then if Sumner's worthy of playing in the rotation, you put him at the bench unit. If not, he goes back to his third string role where he's been at for most of his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. If we have the capable bodies, then yeah, sure. All right. It's going to be hard for him to, to crack the rotation. But right now, I just think that we need to find a bit more of a spark plug outside of just T.J. McConnell. And, and Edmund Sumner seems like a possibility. We roll the dice with Aaron Holiday in and out of the starting lineup. We, we, we saw that. Edmund Sumner feels like the next guy to at least roll the dice on and see what we got. The Pacers have not been able to develop young talent uh, the last few years. And I feel like Edmund Sumner at least looks like someone who's passing the eye test right now as someone that's gotten better from last year and years past. Completely agree. So what is your point that you, or we have two points each. So what is your first point on uh, this team from last night's game? Uh, I mean, similar to, to, you know, what we kind of hit on a little bit before is guys with Levert and TJ Warren out, do not expect Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday to be those guys. They're having career years. They are. Maybe that comes with more of an opportunity, but they have the limitations at the end of the day. Those are two good guys to have on your team but yeah should they both be starters probably not but you have to take what, what we have right now and just roll with the punches and that's what we got no i completely agree i don't want to keep rehammering the same point over and over because it's pretty self-explanatory and uh you know zach Lowe pointed it out you know those guys are bench players these guys yeah. are starters and uh when you're missing your starters 
you're going to, you're going to take a hit. So my last thing, and this is not something I'm going to harp too hard bad on, but I've been seeing a lot of Sabonis hate recently during these losing streaks saying, Oh, it's, you know, Sabonis is too, it's a terrible defender. He's just awful. This system is terrible with him in there. The offense is too stagnant with him. He is horrible. Personally, for me, you ought to seem to calm down because, look, DeMontis Sabonis is the only reason, to me personally, this team is competing in every game every night. I get it. Defensively, he there's a lot to be desired there. He's not the most beautiful defender. He's not the most uh, – he's probably the worst starting defender besides McDermott. I mean, I think there are issues with his defense, don't get me wrong, but y'all act like he is the worst defender in the NBA when that's not even the truth. And offensively, he brings so much to the table. I brought it up earlier in this segment. The amount of touches, the amount of field goal attempts, you know, those have come down quite a bit. His numbers have dipped a little bit on the points and on the rebounds a little bit. He's trying to integrate his way to integrate himself to make the team a little bit better by facilitating more. His assist numbers have been up, if you've noticed that recently. Teams are starting to double-team him a little bit more. Teams are starting to kind of force him to go a certain way. And look. When you don't have those two playmakers, like you just mentioned, Faji, that hurts Sabonis' play. I truly believe, I put this tweet out last night, that the way the NBA is structured, no matter if Sabonis is a two-time all-star or not, I think when fully healthy, Warren and Levert are the two best players on this team because of their versatility. That's not a knock on Domas because I think he raises their game. I think mm-hmm. he is the centerpiece of the success of this offense. Whether or not he's the best player, it doesn't matter. I just think he is a centerpiece of the offense. And if he can get all these guys going and make Brogdon your fourth best option on offense, then you're talking about a team that can maybe make some noise in the playoffs. But right now, you're asking Sabonis and Brogdon to be number one and number two. And quite frankly, I just don't think they're number one athletic enough. Number two, their shots, they're they're not great shooters. Like Brogdon's been okay this year. He's really struggled. Like if you go back and look, when Brogdon's hitting all the shots, this team usually wins. But when he's struggling from out there, this team really hurts. And then Miles Turner has not been shooting the ball well either. So it's just been a lot of things going on. It is not a Sabonis. It's not Sabonis' fault. Maybe it's on Bjorkren not integrating more different styles of offensive play to, to maybe free up Sabonis and let him do some more off-ball action and not have the ball through his hands every play. But that's not on Sabonis. That's on Bjorkren. Sabonis is just doing what he's asked to do. And I think, quite frankly, um, he's making the most of it. I just think the talent around him is not good enough to make the defenses respect those players' abilities because of the way we're shooting the ball recently. Without a doubt, there is not one player on this team that I'm pointing the finger at and being like, this guy is killing us. Now, Saponis is a very good player, but there is a big difference between a very good player and being able to shoulder a team by yourself and will a team to win. He's never going to be you know, a Steph Curry or, or anything of the sort or a LeBron James, but fewer bigs make their player, make their teammates better than Sabonis. I mean, that's a, that's a big that you want to play with. The screens that he's setting, the assists, you mentioned he's a hair under six assists per game right now. That's good for, you know, any guard, let alone Sabonis. But it just right now, I think that just like you mentioned, the, the players are not good enough to be competing with the league's elite of, you know, the 76ers or, or Brooklyn's and, and stuff like that. I just, 
They're just not. Sabonis is not meant to be your clear-cut number one option like that. No, he's a guy that could be on one night a number one option. He could be your second option. Some nights he could even be a third. It's a, it's a whole sum of when you're putting in Levert and TJ Warren, it makes the team that much deeper. If Sabonis is going to be double teamed every game, he's going to have limitations. And not just him. Pretty much everyone else's play has sagged off a bit from, you know, about a month ago. It's just, that's just a fact. It's when you mentioned on Miles Turner right over there. Yeah. I mean, his, his accuracy, it's, it's been down the three point shooting is getting tough. Uh, you know, Brogdon had his stretch where it was getting pretty tough to look at on a nightly basis. I mean, it, it's just happening to guys. It's too thin of a rotation to the point where at the end of the game, they're just tired. And I think that's why we've had some close losses and not enough playmakers there's just there's only oh so much you can ask out of Sabonis to do on a nightly basis where it's hey we just need a healthy roster that's it yeah and I think one real quick point before I get to your last point Fachi mm-hmm. um if you look at the beginning of the season when Oladipo was still on this team just having that extra playmaker look how much better Sabonis was oh yeah the defenses are basically taking all that pressure off of Oladipo now they have to worry about holidays Justin Holiday shooting and McDermott shooting but at the same time uh, Oladipo is a much more dynamic player than those two guys are. They're a little bit more easy to guard one-on-one. But I remember when they played the Celtics, and that's kind of when we first saw a team kind of build that wall against Sabonis getting to the rim. We saw Oladipo constantly working that two-man pick-and-roll game with Sabonis, where Sabonis didn't really put up a lot of points, but he was screening, and Oladipo was getting a lot of open mid-range shots and, and getting a lot of good looks. And so I think, you know, once you get that Levert-level player back, he's going to take off the pressure from Domas having to be the guy. And Domas is going to take off the pressure from him having to go against two guys at once. Like if Levert tries to get double teamed, he can kick it to Sabonis. I mean, going back to when Oladipo and Sabonis were first traded here, the best, the best option they had, whether that's a McMillan problem or not, when they played the Cavs in the playoffs was inserting Domas into the game off the bench and having him play that higher post when they would double team Oladipo when he would kick it to Sabonis and Sabonis would facilitate the ball. I'm just saying having that extra playmaker on the court is going to be huge for this team in the future. Right now, defensive defensive teams have adjusted. Um, defenses, period, have adjusted. Sorry, not defensive teams, but defenses have adjusted. And I just really believe that getting in a couple extra playmakers will just make things so much easier. And then finally, Turner will be able to get more looks that are easier for him instead of you know feeling like he has to take more because – there's no other options. Flat out. I mean, it's just if you guys think that Sabonis is not the subject of every defensive scheme that every coach is trying to run when they're playing the Pacers, you're completely wrong. I mean, this guy has seen double teams nonstop, and it's just we're asking a lot out of him and Malcolm Brogdon more than what we should. And it, we've said it, we've beaten it into your, your guys, you know, headphones, whatever you want to call it, of weathering the storm, but that's all that we can do. I mean, you're looking at teams, even the Lakers. I mean, Anthony Davis missed a couple games. They lost three straight. I mean, it's that's what happens when you remove very good players from good teams. It's this in the NBA, you can't rely on just one guy. It, it can't happen. So for my next point, because this has become like the hottest topic in the last 24 hours, No, the Pacers are not going to tank for Cade Cunningham. Yes, he is a very good player. (laughs) But have you guys looked at the standings? There are some terrible teams out there. 
The Minnesota Timberwolves are 7 and 28. The Pistons 9 and 25. The Magic 13 and 22. The Rockets, who knows if they're when when the next time they're gonna win a game is there are some horrible teams out there. Guys, if you can't stomach a four-game losing streak, you are not gonna be able to stomach losing every game in a month or winning one out of ten games. I mean, oh my god. You're not going to want to log on to social media or hear anyone even talking about the team because it's going to be that abysmal. It's going to be so depressing that, you know, even if the Pacers started to tank, which they've never done before, literally he would end up with like the eighth overall pick, which is so up in the air. You're looking at a guy like Kevin Knox or Frank Nilakina, those guys that are so like toss-ups, if they'll ever be good or not. And that's not what we want for this team. This is a team that can be good. They can get it going. The East right now is beyond obtainable to the point where right now the Pacers are in the ninth spot. Well, you know what? They're two games out of four. How about that? Uh, have you seen the new way the lottery is done, Fachi? Yes. Saying, I saying Cade Cunningham is an impossibility is not true. Not impossible. <laughs> but we would have to get significantly worse. Hey, if we can if we could fade for Cade, I'm all for it, man. But I just this is not how this Pacer team works. I agree with you there, Fachi. Um, even if they lose like 13 games in a row, if they lose to the Cavs on Wednesday night and then just lose the the next 13 games before they play the Pistons on March 24th. I'm telling you, man, that's uh that's uh, a disaster. And I think that you might have to look uh, internally. I believe the trade deadline is right around that time too. The, there's a lot of different possibilities there. But anyway, we got Scott Agnes joining us next. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be joined by Scott Agnes right after this. All right, everybody, we're back. And joining us now is Scott Agnes. Scott, what's going on, man? A lot right now. I think everybody's kind of ready for this all-star break, especially <laughs> this Pacers team, because things are not going their way right now. And they just need to get out of this rut. Absolutely. And they had seven days off. You thought, man, they might come back refreshed. And then they lost three really close games against Golden State, Boston, and New York. And then they got blown out by Philadelphia. So another four-game losing streak for this team. And there's been a lot of takes and a lot of things going on. But my first question is, obviously the biggest answer for this team to get better is to get their two guys back, TJ Warren and Karis LeVert. Um, What is the most recent update on these two guys and should we even expect to see tj warren this season well first of all um yeah one thing fans should know is the pacers over the last couple of years have kind of changed their stance with these significant injuries so you're going to see out indefinitely right and even think back to jeremy lamb he told us after the fact doctors told him a reliable likely timeline for him would be nine to twelve months pacers set out indefinitely and he returned, what, 10 months after surgery and 11 months roughly um, after that injury. And then the same thing goes with, with Karis LeVert, out indefinitely. But we know he's very much on track to return mid-March is most likely, right after the All-Star break is kind of what has clearly been in the picture since he had this successful surgery. Um, I think it's about five weeks ago now. He's clearly out of that. His doctor was telling me he's probably not going to do too much for the first four to five weeks. Then he can ramp back up and after six or seven weeks um, start taking physical contact. And then it's just totally up to the individual. Is there is Karis in shape and um, what's it, what's his pain tolerance? Right. Because uh, like, because I thought about, you know, if you throw an elbow um, on the back of on his back, right. 
that might be a little painful for him or not. We don't know. Um, but he's clearly practicing with the team, doing all but contact with them traveling. So that's good news. As for TJ Warren, I do not rule him out for this season. But as I said all along, he's going to miss significant amount of time and probably not going to be back for months. Yeah, months. So don't expect him back at All-Star break or April 1st um, by any means because he had a significant injury. It's an injury looking back at previous NBA players that had it, big men, and they all missed 60-plus games. So that would most likely put him on track for, uh, let's say, a May return. But none of that is known for sure. Just know nothing anytime soon. The way uh, play is going, I don't, I don't know if I would use the word cake, but it seems like Warren's return could be the icing on the cake at the end of the year if everything goes well. But, you know, that could also be dictated by how the Pacers finish the year, if it mm -hmm. makes sense to even rush him back. But while we have Dr. Scott on the line over here, you know, <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon recently uh, missed the game against the Knicks. Sore uh, right knee, I believe it was, returns against the Sixers. Look, we, we saw Brogdon go through about seven different injuries last year. Any reason to be concerned about this knee at all, or just maybe just some rest? No, I don't think there's any concern other than kind of the short term, right? Um, just kind of any in injury that could have happened to one of us in playing a pickup game. Just an unfortunate collision, bang knees, and it's going to be sore for a week or two. Um, nothing significant, um, nothing that required additional tests. He did play uh, in return against the 76ers, and you mentioned his injury history last year. Keep in mind his, his absence against New York, his first of the year. Mm -hmm. And consider the minutes I'll that take he and Domas have played. That's outstanding. That We probably have not talked about that enough, um, the way he's been able to be available and play significant minutes. No, and I, and I think that that's a big part of uh, the Pacers' success this year that they've had with him on the court because he's just been so reliable. But now they've been kind of struggling. And I think what's funny is we talked at the beginning of the year and we both said – I think this team could get off to a slow start with a new coach in place. And they went off on a really hot start. And now they've kind of came back and, uh, you know, they're, they're treading water, basically. So when, when you look at the way they're playing now, obviously, I think the, the biggest wrinkle in all this is the Oladipo trade. Not just because Oladipo is not here anymore, but because there's nobody replacing the production yeah. that he was bringing on the court. So with this weird situation with Karis LeVert, it's, it's an, it's an, overused excuse but I think that really there that's probably the biggest reason why wouldn't you say Scott this Pacers team is not above 500 yeah absolutely you need playmakers you need starters and right now the Pacers have been down too we know about Warren for a while and Karis uh, while we have hope for him to contribute very soon you're missing his what 20 points per game and that's not easy for this group to to easily fill in especially a group that does not have that type of playmaking already, right? They're, they don't have that dominant 25 per points per game score. They have a couple 21s with Brogdon and Sabonis. And I, I should also highlight Sabonis, who's the one starter to play in every single game this year, despite the heavy workload. It's We're at that point right now where the Pacers just across the board feel like a very, you know, average team from a, you know, Rebounding is is far from average in, in a negative way. But this team right now, what would you kind of uh, point to as why this losing streak is happening? Is there is there anything where they're falling short where you, you can say that's the reason or is it just kind of the perfect storm? I think it's a combination of two factors. For one, defense has not been nearly good enough. They've allowed for those big runs and then 
it feels like much like some previous seasons where they might claw back, fight back, but then it's constant uphill. And by the time they get within two or three, they're exhausted. We saw that, what, in New York, right, where Mm -hmm. DJ McConnell, I think, played 46 minutes, and this game didn't go to overtime. By that point, then he turns it over on the biggest play of the game. Now, not an excuse, but I think that's factoring in. And then on top of that, they don't have that guy that'll go out and get you 40. That can win a game single-handedly. And if you want to have a knock about Demonis Sabonis, that's probably it. He shoulders so much for this team, but he's not a guy that, all right, Nikola Jokic, for example, he'll, he could go off for 40 points. We see it with Joel Embiid. He can dominate his matchup and average 30 if he wants. Pacers lack that. And the defense has has not nearly been as good as it should be, um, especially when we thought Nate Bjorkren would not only change the way in which and how they play defense, but be able to pick up where they left off under Nate McMillan and Dan Burke. And if anything, this is one of my knocks on maybe the front office and, and maybe to an extent the coaching staff or with Nate, I should say, is not keeping Dan Burke around. What's what's not broken uh, why try to fix it or create something new? Nate could have instilled some of his new principles within the top 10 defense that had been Dan Burke for the last decade. Yeah. And I think when you bring up coaching, you know, a lot of, a lot of fans recently on the hot takes have mm-hmm. just been, have been coming after Nate Bjorker and saying that he should be fired. And I think we need to just <laughs> calm got down. Too. Yeah. It's like, it's been like not even a full half of a season yet. And we're already wanting to fire the guy. One thing I will say, though, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, McMillan didn't kind of have this struggle. But if you go back and look, when Victor got hurt in 2019, 2018-2019 um, season, Pacers were 32-15 and 15 after that Toronto Raptors win. They ended up going 16-19 and 19 the rest of the season. And I think that's kind of where this Pacers team is at. Just a couple games below 500. And you saw how bad they played in the playoffs without that type of player. So for me, Scott, it's just like, I think that what Bjorken's doing is what every Pacer fan wanted in the offseason when they asked for different changes, like different schemes, not the same offensive plays and stuff like that. Do you think he's lived up to what fans have wanted or what the Pacers said when they hired him, like lived up to expectations as far as being innovative and all that kind of stuff? Or do you think he's kind of gotten a little stagnant with some of the stuff he's running? I think for the most part, he's doing what he was asked to do um, with coming in, being creative, not afraid to throw different things at opponents um while three-point attempts are up slightly they're not what what maybe some expected but remember Pacers were 30th in the league last year last I looked they were 20th so uh, a third increase that is that's a significant upgrade um from where they were at I think the the biggest knock um or not even knock the biggest thing that has surprised me is his his lack of, of using his depth Right. Most of the season, it hadn't been the case the last couple games, but most of the season he's used an eight and nine man rotation. And I'll never forget his opening press conference where both he and Kevin Pritchard talked about the fact, hey, this this is not about winning a game or two or winning this weekend or winning, uh, you know, the week. This is a long term vision. It's about advancing the playoffs. And in order to do that, we're going to have to sacrifice wins. I don't think the Pacers with their current 15 and 18 record have really sacrificed any of those wins for the betterment of the long-term picture. So I think that's really my only big picture criticism uh, of what Nate has done in his first half of the season. 
Yeah, it's also touched on that. I feel like when Bjorken came in, everyone was thinking player development. Look at the guys that that really developed in Toronto. Some guys that were either undrafted or, or drafted later on um, that, that really excelled. And I feel like we we looked forward to seeing what some of our young talent can be. And then one of those players that Pacer Nation is really calling for is Edmund Sumner. He was kind of the, the only bright spot in the loss to Philly last night. Does it feel like now is a time that, hey, maybe it's Sumner's turn to get a few more minutes here? Because like you mentioned before, the rotation was just far too slim in the beginning of the year. We need a little bit of a spark or a change. I think it's both of those. It's the fact that they need opportunity. Um, and on top of that, you got to change the game a little bit. I mean, Sumner playing three minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, not going to do it for his development or for this Pacer team. What he is really good at, is pushing the tempo, changing the pace. Um, and what, what's impressed me with his performance the last couple of games is how in control he has been when he's attacked the paint. That's been the biggest criticism, I think, of him is he's just out of control. He's going too fast. His mind's, you know, just racing up the floor. Well, now I think he's been a little bit more in control. His passing has been sharp. I, I think I tweeted this during the Philadelphia game when what else is there much to talk about other than late in the game? I think they were down 24. Sabonis is in there with seven minutes left. I'm sitting there thinking, look, this is where Goga needs reps. Mm -hmm. Sumner needs opportunity. And you need to figure out what the heck you have with Keelan Martin after you just guaranteed his contract. Are you just throwing money away and not going to play the guy? Or is he a guy that can maybe become a player in your rotation and help the team both in the short term this year and stay on the roster for next year? We don't have the answers to that yet. No, and that's a great point. I know a lot of people have been frustrated with the amount of minutes these guys have been playing. And I know Bjorken really is just trying to figure out a way to try to get this team uh, back on the winning track, trying to maximize this team's talent. And, you know, personally, when I look at it, the starting lineup has, you know, they've, they've been hit or miss and the bench has been kind of broken because you have two bench players now starting. To me personally, a guy that, you know, Edmund Sumner has not been able to crack the rotation at a consistent level I think it would be beneficial for both the starters and the bench, maybe to put Edmund Sumner into the starting lineup. I think he provides better defense than Jeremy Lamb or Doug McDermott. I think that he provides that energy that the team probably needs to get off to a fast start. Not the most reliable shooter, and maybe his dribbles will, uh, can be a little bit iffy sometimes, but I just feel like that would solidify the bench for the most part besides Justin Holiday, and maybe get you some more scoring punch off the bench. And then maybe just, even if it's not that many minutes, just letting him play some of those first and third quarter minutes with the starters, I think that'd be a good idea. What are your thoughts on Sumner uh, maybe taking McDermott's spot in that starting lineup? Valid thinking there. Um, I certainly, I really liked, I liked the change they, they made what seems like a couple weeks ago, moving Lamb to the bench and McDermott to the starters because it's twofold there. One, I think Lamb plays better off with that second group and McDermott, he needs to play more time, as much time as possible um, with, Sab with Sabonis because those two are the best tandem, I think, perhaps on this, this team right now. And maybe that will become Karras and Domas. We don't know. And one thing we haven't even talked about when we talked about those injuries is keep in mind, Karras hadn't played with any of these guys. So there's no guarantee that he's this lifeline coming in and immediately going to gel with them. Maybe he is. But I, I think it would it's wrong to assume he's an instant answer because he doesn't have that chemistry with the guys. Whereas I think with Warren, we know he, how he's going to fit right in, how he's going to take the mid range shot and get rebounds. And should he return to health, be that 20 points per game score. But in the meantime, I think Sumner needs to be in the rotation. And I think Goga needs at least 10, 10 
minutes or so per game um, because he's in what year two now he's missed out on all those freebie opportunities like summer league. And he just needs an opportunity here to do something. And that's what this season should be about. Again, this is not a championship contending roster. Nobody's pretending to do that. So there are other things like this that we need to discover. Yeah, I completely agree. In an offseason where the Pacers really did not add many guys to this roster, you know, nothing of head, note. Nothing, <laughs> nothing of note. The, the head coaching change was the big move. I don't yeah. understand why expectations could, you know, shift that much further, but somehow they did. Um, but to go back to Keelan Martin when you mentioned that, because that's someone it's starting to frustrate fans a bit that yeah, his contract was just guaranteed, and we're really not seeing him play at all. Very few minutes. Uh, just maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a homer or, or I like old hits, but when Glenn Robinson the third got cut, did you think the Pacers would potentially maybe even place a call, anything of the sort? It felt like Keelan Martin's contract got guaranteed. It felt like within minutes of when Glenn Robinson got cut, but man, that's someone who I kind of would have liked to have seen join the team again. I don't think so. I think there would have been a, a better possibility of Lance being back than Glenn, who okay. really just didn't work out in Indy. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily um, for his own doing. Remember, he suffered that training camp. I think it was an yeah. ankle injury that kept him out a significant portion of the season. And I want to say he came back January, February. And by then, uh, again, and it goes back to my point with Karras, it's really hard to kind of jump back in and figure it out. And on top of that, he's not a star. And so he doesn't get guaranteed minutes. And so he was kind of in that summer role where, <laughs> you know, he was begging for minutes, waiting for his opportunity. And then when it came just didn't work out, and so he's bounced around. So, no, to answer your question, I did not think about uh, GR3 helping this roster um, at all. But I just – I don't think Keelan's the answer either. But in fairness, we haven't seen enough to come to that conclusion yet. No, do you think Lance is the answer? Depends what you're, what you're trying to get accomplished. What, what do you what, – what's the goal there, right? Because in doing so – that means less minutes for Sumner, less minutes for Aaron Holiday, probably. Now, it does create, it gives you probably scoring. Um, it, edge it, a little it, bit. It edge and also um, an entertainment factor. However, yes. without true fan base, that's one thing where he thrived, <laughs> right? I, I remember reporting on the story how in the preseason a couple of years ago, uh, the Pacers experimented with the darker theater lighting, right? And yeah. so that made it look like the Lakers and the Nets for, I think, one game. And the players didn't like it, offered yeah, their input yeah. and said, hey, no, we rely too much on these fans. I can't, if I'm, this was, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Miles Turner in his fan section. He goes, I, I can't look up and see my fans. I, I don't like this. And so because of that, I think after one game, they did lower the, the, um, the lighting than it was previously, but not nearly to that theater seating that so many of us love because of the reliance and, and involvement with the fans. And Lance is certainly a part of that. Yeah, all I'll say is yeah, sorry, real quick. Uh, all I'll say is you do not want Lance in a near empty arena. I think that can get over quick. <laughs> what? Well, I'm fine with it. I, I mean, I, I don't really know if Lance is the answer. Obviously, I don't think he is, but I think it'd be more fun. I think fans would come off their um, their edge a little bit. But Scott, I don't want to be too negative here. But if the Pacers lose to Cleveland, their next upcoming week, the next upcoming weeks, they've got. I know where you're going with this, Alex. When is the next win? When it's the only one on paper I feel like I feel confident in saying is my dad's birthday, March 24th, Miles Turner's birthday against the Pistons. I mean, Ugh. the Bucks, the Heat twice, the Nets, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Lakers, the Nuggets uh, Friday night or Thursday night, 
it, it, it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We could be on like a 13 to 14 game losing streak, uh, which is something the Pacers haven't seen in a very, very, very long time. So, Scott, I mean, if they don't win against the Cavs, are you worried about this team? I'm not worried because, again, this is kind of the the hand they were dealt, and it's not entirely unexpected. And yeah. I do want to go back. I think Michael was the one that pointed this out earlier. Um, under McMillan, when they they lost Oladipo, right, one of the biggest praises I could say about what Nate did was keep the ship above water. He did an excellent job through all the adversity, through all the injuries. Um, last year's injury ravaged season, he kept he kept it going, and they still finished with what the fourth seed. I mean, yeah. they were they were right there and hung in there. Now there's a lot of fair criticisms, but that's one thing he did very well. And also, McMillan led teams didn't really lose three games in a row. I forget what the number was, but there was an incredible streak of I want to say like 40 straight games, maybe 60 straight games oh, yeah. where they went without losing three straight. Um, which which is remarkable because you're going to have uh, a bad week in the season. Um, and then, Alex, to your point, while, yeah, the, the, season, the schedule looks daunting, there's one of those games where just because of the NBA schedule, um, maybe an injury, maybe COVID protocol, um, and they play well, that will bounce in their favor. Maybe Brooklyn's out a couple of their stars, or Phoenix has an off night, or they don't, they, they don't lose back-to-back nights to Miami, right? Um, so right. I don't envision a 10 game losing streak here at all, but I think it's realistic and fans have to understand. Don't be surprised. I think with, with a March, uh, the, the second half March schedule or eight of 11 on the road, if they go something like what four and seven, like that would probably be a very, very good record. Yeah, I mean, at this point, four and seven, it sounds like we got four wins in there. So, you know what? And that's the negative side of having March Madness in here, by the way. Yeah, no, that, that's that what is it comes definitely down true. To. And so, that, I mean, that's definitely going to be tough. We knew this March schedule was going to be brutal, but the, the thought of even thinking that three weeks could go by without a win is just far too long for this fan base. But So, to pump a little bit of positivity in here, Cassius Stanley was just named to the dunk contest. Uh yeah, Scott, I mean, what are you thinking in terms of, uh, I mean, we obviously know this guy is freakishly athletic. His vertical is through the roof. I mean, is this kind of a nice little treat for what Pacer fans could use to take their mind off of the recent struggles? Pacers need something of, Ooh, of optimism. Yeah. And this is a perfect opportunity um, for Stanley, I think, to, to get his name out there. And it is odd a little bit that a player that hasn't been with the NBA organization for more than a month now, been in the G League, is getting this opportunity, but it's just realistic to the current environment. If I'm um, in the if I'm in the All Star game, this is the last thing I want to deal with, right? I'm a big name. Um, this isn't doesn't have the appeal of All Star Saturday night. I don't want to risk it, and I'll take Saturday night to myself in the Ritz Carlton, probably where they're going to be. On the other side of that, if I'm not an All Star, I'm happily enjoying my vacation in L.A. and in Puerto Rico, in Miami, right? Last thing I want to do is give up a couple of days, have the pressure on me right now, because the thing that's been not talked about enough is how trying this has been mentally and taxing on these guys, because even off days, I forget if I brought this up when I joined you, I don't know, a week or two ago, is the fact that, you know, even their off days, they're having to drive to the facility twice just to get tested. So there's never any true off days this season. And so for Stanley, incredible vertical leap, 44 inches before the draft. Duke says he topped Zion Williamson at 45 inches um, at Duke, although they didn't re- release what Cassius did. 
And so this is a good opportunity with him. I'll talk to him coming up this week and post a story about what he has planned. I'm excited to read that, Scott, because I'm excited for Cassius. This is a really cool opportunity for him to get noticed. And if he ends up winning this thing, I think people will remember that, especially because I think it's kind of cool they're doing it during halftime as well. I know it's not the normal Saturday night stuff, but mm-hmm. I, it's, uh, I think if you've seen their halftime shows for the All-Star Game the last decade or so, it's been just god-awful. So uh, <laughs> doing this in the middle, I think, is a lot more fun. But um, other than that, you know, it's been rough for Pacer fans the last couple of weeks. And um, I think just hang in there. I said on my Twitter, I said, we're going to get through this valley eventually. Just just keep hanging in there. Hold the faith. Keep the faith, you know. But um, do you have anything that you would like to plug before we let you go? I know you've got a – I've got a lot going on over at a, um, your uh, website. Yeah, just just a lot of content there at fieldhousefiles.com. Um, a lot of fun things coming up. Nothing in particular other than maybe that, that Stanley story um, to tag here. And uh, I think fans will, will enjoy that. It hadn't happened yet, but I look forward to that conversation <laughs> and kind of previewing – how he was selected and what he has in store and his background. I was looking up his previous history and even just at Duke, there was an incredible compilation of like 20 in-game dunks, which are far more difficult than these um, at the dunk contest. So that should be fun. Um, I don't think it has the appeal that it used to, but I remember being at it in the United Center last year at Chicago. That was really fun. We all, I think that was the Dwayne Wade controversy, wasn't it? Uh, uh, (laughs) And all that. So it's unfortunate for us, self unselfish or selfishly, that the game was not here in Indy, but it'll be much better here in three years. Banker's Life will have all the renovations completed and they can have the full week of kind of all star festivities. Looking forward to it, Scott. Definitely appreciate you coming on. Everybody, make sure you check out some of his content. You can find him on Twitter at Scott Agnes. Scott, appreciate it. Good deal, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Scott. All right, everybody, we're back. I want to thank Scott Agnes so much for coming on and talking with us. Always enjoy when Scott is with us. But, Fachi, we've got a couple new segments we want to introduce to our Pacer fans. So, coming up first, it is This Week in Pacers History. Fachi, take it away. Well, this day in Pacers history, 30 years ago, the Pacers would beat the eventual NBA champion, the Chicago Bulls, 135 to 114 behind Reggie Miller's 40 points. Pacers had seven players in double figures that night. You had Vern Fleming, Chuck Person with uh, 18 apiece. And they held the GOAT himself, MJ, to 8 of 23 shooting to end up with just 22 points. Ah, the good old days winning Uh, games. Yes, the good old days. I love it, Fachi, and I love that Pacers team. That's when they were really starting to come up and, and make a name for themselves. And uh, Reggie was in like his what third or fourth season by that point. So just, you know, you just love seeing young teams grow together. And that was what that team was at that point. So, and it's always good to beat the bulls. Sorry. It just always, it always feels good. But um, next we've got our tweet of the week. So Fachi, what is your tweet of the week? So uh, for my tweet of the week, we have, it's from at the 10th coming tweeted, at least Edmund Sumner looked good tonight. Bjorkren started to play him more in the rotation, and it's paid off really well every time. Hopefully this leads to him getting a more permanent rotation spot. Alex, I could not agree more after what I saw last night and this team needing a spark plug. It feels like we've rolled the dice everywhere else. Why not roll it Sumner's way? No, that, that's why I said start him in the beginning of the, of the episode. I want to see him play more. I think that he has proven it and maybe not even play more minutes, but I think just having a, um, a role that is prominent 
will help him will help him grow as a player number one and number two i think that getting that bench back to where it once was with a solidified bench and a bench rotation that will help this team make an easier adjustment once carousel verts back in the game couldn't agree more i mean just for a little perspective you know 18 points plays about um 28 minutes against philly this time around last time against philly he played six seconds what could he even get accomplished there? <laughs> no, six seconds. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, we should have never lost that first Philadelphia game anyway. But I digress. Um, uh, speaking of Sumner, last night I thought he had an excellent quote. J. Michael shared this. So this is my tweet of the week. Maybe it's more tweet of the day. But anyway, we, we this is what Sumner said. We got to stop letting what happens on the offensive end impact the defensive end. And that's a great point because if you go back – like I said earlier, this team hangs their hat on defense. And if they're going to continue to play this new style, they've got to figure it out. And if they're letting offense dictate their defense, then that's not who this Pacers team was built on. I know we want changes. I know we want to be more innovative. But please, for the love of God, uh, you cannot let your offense impact your defense because your defense is what's going to win you games at the end of the day. Oh, 100% in a time where really no one's playing defense. That's always been the Pacers' calling card, their identity. This team is lacking identity. They are in the middle of the pack, not knowing what they really, you know, what's your calling card. And for right now, we don't know. And Alex, I was crunching some defensive numbers. And the Pacers right now, they're giving up 112.6 points per game. It'd be 19th in the NBA currently. But it's five more than the Pacers gave up last year. And it's eight more than they gave up the year before when they led the league in fewest points per game led up. But to make it even more disgusting and sickening, this would be the most points per game the Pacers have led up since 1984 to 1985 <laughs> when the team went 22 and 60. Oh. Despite the game changing, this is way too many points for the Indiana Pacers to be letting up. I, I completely agree. So I, I want to get into our last segment here. It is our hot takes of the of the week. And so I asked on Twitter last night, the this is the second four-game losing streak of the season. What are your thoughts on the current and future of this team? And I'm just going to read a few here, Fashi. I think Robbie Thompson, too, said it best. They're fine once they are complete. Until that time, it's going to be a grind. Eric Wegner, nine pitches in and says, anytime you switch coaches and he impl implements a new system, it takes much longer to get players accustomed to playing in, in that system. Pacers haven't had this major of a change in a very long time. Also, with all the injuries, players are constantly changing roles and can't get into a flow. Everyone needs to relax. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So those were some positive ones. Now I'm going to get to a few negative ones here just because it wouldn't be a, a Pacers pot without getting some negative ones. But this comes from this comes from Alex Karati. I'm going to say it like that. He says, it seems we made a wrong choice about the coach. The defense is awful, and we do not have game plans, offensively speaking. It is difficult to watch the team playing. It is even a shame. With the coach, there is no future. This is from not underscore DB underscore Cooper. Nate McMillan had a high floor and a low ceiling. Nate Bjorkren has a low floor and high ceiling. We have COVID restrictions, even less training time and injuries. We kept that same roster despite the fact that the systems that we are running are completely different from last season. Punt the season. Fachi, after reading just a couple of those tweets, I think I had 60-some replies. What are your thoughts on all these hot takes? 
And there is definitely some hot ones. It is sizzling out here. Might want to cook some breakfast on this hot stove. <laughs> because right now, guys, come on. We're willing to give up on the Bjorkman era, which we were calling it before. Everyone was so excited. We're going to give up after, you know, 30-plus games. I mean, come on. This is not built overnight. I just would love to see what coach can succeed with when you remove, you know, two of your top four players, two of your top three, however you want to put it. I mean, it's going to be tough. Uh, Bjorkren's not Steve Curry. He's not going to be able to step into a team and immediately take him to the championship. But I don't want to make any fast judgments until we actually see that team. And when you're talking about, you know, how the absence earlier, you know, trading Vic in close games, I mean, the Pacers have dropped some close games this year. They, they have eight losses, I believe it is, by five points or less. And I think that that's – You're in games, but you're just lacking the players in order to win the game. So for right now, I don't want to I don't want to make any fast movements or anything. I just want to see this team be able to come together. It's a long season. Look at how Miami was before they started the season very rough. Toronto, same thing with them. Well, you know what? They're back in the playoff picture. We can do it, too. I agree, Fachi. I agree. I don't want to ride the team off yet, but I do think the month of March could be very scary. So Hold on to your horses. Buckle up. It's going to be a long ride, but I do believe that eventually we will get out of this Pacers Valley. So that wraps it up for another episode of Setting the Pace. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure you give us a five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts and make sure you subscribe if you haven't already and download those episodes. Fachi, where can the people find us at? You can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find... Me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find my co-host Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. That's right. And no matter the record, no matter the day, no matter what's going on, if you're feeling sad, you're feeling down, I only got three words for you. Bachi, hit the people. Let's go Pacers. For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.